Welcome to the Institute of World Mission Weekly Podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org slash podcast to view this podcast show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field. Friends, hello. Welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. It's October in full swing, which means deep fall in my part of the world, in the Northern Hemisphere. In fact, right now it's actually pouring outside. It's raining and it's fairly cold. And it very well might be very different for you where you are. As missionaries, we encounter not only different weather patterns, but also different languages. Our hosts heart language is most probably different than yours. And for many cross-cultural workers, as we are, the language barrier sometimes is the biggest determinant of how we feel about our service, whether we feel engaged and satisfied, or, on the other hand, uneasy and not quite in tune with the people. Well, in today's interview, it's all about acquiring fluency in a foreign language. Sometimes we think it's super hard. But Paul Masi, which is a pen name, served in Turkey for many years and then also in the Philippines. While in Turkey, he mastered the Turkish language. Paul is also a trainer, happens to be a trainer in language acquisition skills. So as you can see, he is like a perfect person for us to tackle this, this topic with. So with that, let's get straight to Paul's story. Paul, welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Thanks. It's nice to be here with you. All right. Well, we have a desire to discuss a very important topic, and I know that our missions community has a great interest, our listeners have great interest in that. That is language acquisition. Before we go into the technicalities of this, would you share your story? I know you have learned Turkish language, mm -hmm. and it is very much a foreign language uh, for you. So what's the story behind that? How did all of this happen in your life? Well, uh, in 2005, we accepted a call with Adventist Frontier Missions to be a part of a church planting project in Turkey. And uh, we ended up launching end of 2006. And as with any AFM project, we are tasked and encouraged and even supported in focusing on lingua culture acquisition. And maybe that's a new word that I just threw out there, lingua culture. Can you say that again? Lingua culture. Lingua culture, right. Yeah, so basically... The premise is language and culture are so intertwined that you can't learn one without learning the other. That's right. So uh, anyways, uh, AFM very much encourages us and you know, basically tasks us with learning uh, lingua culture because that will basically inform the ministry that uh, we're engaged in in the countries in which we work. All right, so how did it go about? You came into the country and uh, you didn't know Turkish at all. So you land, and what happens? You know, it just doesn't come, right? No, it doesn't happen. Uh, there have been people who have thought that it would happen, and it didn't. They were sorely mistaken. So, yeah, basically, I actually didn't go, I didn't arrive in Turkey with no Turkish ability. I found out that Rosetta Stone has 
a Turkish program. Now, at the time, they only had one disk. Now, I think they have three disks, and some of the real major languages, they have five. So I thought, man, if I could go at least with some vocabulary, it'll be a, you know, a good start. So that's what I did. I did the first disk on Rosetta Stone. It came with a little manual, and you're not just learning vocabulary. You're learning basic sentences, greetings, leave-takings, etc. So I started with that, and actually also before I launched, I bought a Turkish grammar book because I started noticing some things as I was working through this Rosetta Stone, and I just had some questions. So I started looking at that a little bit. And when I arrived in Turkey, I probably had about a 500, 600-word vocabulary. I had a oh, basic, that's not bad. Yeah. And I had a basic understanding of sentence structure. I, didn't necessar- I, I couldn't necessarily conjugate verbs, but I understood, okay, this is how a sentence is set up. I know that the verb is at the end. I know that there's a tense here. And I also know that the subject can be at the end of a sentence. It takes time, obviously, to understand the logic of a language, but I basically was seeing some things. So I arrive, and obviously the first thing we need to do was get settled. So I spent a few weeks getting settled, finding an apartment, getting furniture, which was a language learning opportunity in and of itself. Uh, There's nothing like going to a curtain shop to buy some curtains, and they don't speak English, and you don't speak Turkish. And honestly, I don't think I'd even bought curtains before in my life. So it was a completely new experience in many ways. But once we got settled, I found out there was a language school downtown. And so I enrolled in that. You can enroll a month at a time. I think there were 12 courses or 12 levels. And what I did was I enrolled in that and I just went intermittently. So I would go for a month or maybe I'd go for two months and then I would take a month off and I would just practice everything that I had learned. And I did that over the course of the first 15 months. I think I attended seven classes. I got through the beginner, the first four beginner levels. Then I skipped the first intermediate level, went to the next three intermediate levels, and then I stopped. I didn't really think I needed to go into the advanced levels. The last two classes were just conversation courses. And I figured, why should I pay money to sit in a classroom and talk with people? I have lots of friends. I'll just talk with them for free. And then the other two advanced classes, I basically figured that grammar out on my own. It wasn't too complex. So basically, that's what I did initially. But interwoven in all those months of language learning at the, at the uh, school was a lot of time spent with friends. We had a woman working in our home. My wife was pregnant when we first arrived, and she basically needed to take it easy for health reasons. So she was helping with some cooking and cleaning. But she ended up being one of my language helpers. I would write sentences, and I would read those to her. She would correct me. I would ask her questions. She would you know, tell stories. I would listen. My wife and my kids were obviously doing the same thing. So, yeah, it was a, it was a combination, at least the first 15 months, of language, formal language learning in a school, and then working with, I guess you could say, language helpers, or what in some circles is also called nurturers. Paul, this is fantastic. The purposefulness that I can see in, in your approach to this is, is just something that's really helpful in acquiring a language, right? Uh, planning it out and, and going after it, being purposeful. In Definitely. That. Yeah, I really encourage people, if you're going to a place where, you know, if you're going to a place where they speak a language that's covered by a program like Rosetta Stone, 
I think it's well worth spending a couple hundred dollars and spending an hour to two hours every day, you know, prior to your launch doing that. Because when you arrive, if you, you know, have five, six hundred, seven hundred word vocabulary, you know how to say hello, goodbye, you have some basic understanding of sentence structure. I mean, if you spend six months doing that before you launch, you're basically arriving there with six months of language learning under your belt rather than none. Alongside with that, I probably should mention an app, uh, mm. one of the uh, most famous ones mm. out there called Duolingo. Yeah. This is something I used recently mm-hmm. uh, in learning a third mm-hmm. language in mm-hmm. my life. Okay. And, uh, and that just basically put me on, uh, on rails yeah. in terms of uh, getting that first 1,000 words, mm-hmm. that understanding of language yeah. structure and so forth. So that, that, was, that was really nice. It's really easy to use and it's just so helpful. Duolingo, that is. Yeah. Paul, if you would allow me to just explore a little more mm-hmm. what you've described as people, as language helpers. Because mm-hmm. the problem is with uh, many times is that we have a hard time finding people to talk with. So you mentioned there was somebody in your house, but mm-hmm. what did you do? What have you done to, to find those opportunities to converse with people? Yeah, I think uh, at least initially, it's really good to find somebody that could be a designated language helper or a nurturer. And usually that involves paying some money. If you can combine that with maybe like some housekeeping, some, you know, maybe fixing food, it maybe will work out a little bit easier or maybe a little bit easier to find somebody. But I really recommend that because a lot of people, you know, people are busy. They don't have a lot of time. And then not only... And you hardly can talk, right? Right, right. And and at the very beginning... You're like a small child, if not a baby. So they have to babysit. Yeah, basically. And most people don't have the time, patience, or awareness that their normal rates of speech are going to be way too hard for you. Now, you don't want people, even if you're paying a language helper uh, when you first arrive, let's say the first few months, you don't want your language helper to speak abnormally. You don't want them to talk like, you know, a robot on slow speed. Hello, how are you? No, that's not, that's not normal. You're never going to encounter that in society. But at the same time, you do want them to be sensitive to the fact that their normal rates of speech are going to be way too fast for you. So the normal person out on the street, you know, just the average person out on the street, they're not going to be sensitive to that. I don't know how many times in my life I've asked someone, could you say that again, but just a little slower? And they don't say it, so they say it exactly the same way that they said it the first time. So it's just really good to have a language helper for that purpose or or for that reason, that they're just going to be sensitive to what your ability is and what your needs are. There's a key phrase or there's a key term that we often use in in language culture learning, and that is your growth zone. And I think this, this is applied in any type of learning situation. What is it? What is the growth zone? So basically, when it comes to conversation, content, you want to basically be within your growth zone. If you're outside of the growth growth zone on, let's say, the lower end, then it's not going to be challenging. If you're outside of, the, of your growth zone on the upper end, it's going to be too challenging. And you're, just most of it's going to go over your head. So if, if your language learning opportunities, whether those be conversational, grammatical, reading, writing, etc. If it's within the growth zone, you're, you're basically going to be spending your time in the most efficient way, and you're going to actually increase the likelihood that you're learning 
or what we would also call growing in the language. So what I'm hearing from you is that it's really helpful to find somebody who will actually be patient, uh, receiving a little bit of money for spending a couple hours Mm -hmm. uh, a day or several hours a week, whatever mm-hmm. that takes to mm-hmm. to take you, especially in the beginning. This mm-hmm. is when it's mm-hmm. very, very crucial. Yeah, I mean, the main point is you want to establish a foundation in the lingua culture as far as your understanding and ability to use it. And once you reach a certain point, you'll basically be able to grow on your own. You're not necessarily going to need someone to sit there with you every day for a few hours you know, helping you conjugate verbs, formulate sentences, having, you know, basic conversation, whether that be in story form, you know, or conversational form or practice for a particular situation, a job interview, etc. You know, it'll be more natural. You'll be with friends, you'll be encountering new words, you may use a dictionary, you may just say, hey, you just use this word, I don't know what that means, what is that? And then they describe it to you. Another problem. So say a person has a little bit of a foundation, Mm -hmm. A missionary is able to say a few simple things. Mm-hmm. Then comes time to practice and practice a lot, mm-hmm. so just with, with all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we're so shy. So what, what attitudes or what kind of a mindset should we have to really help get all the practice we need? Wow. Well, that's a huge one. Basically, before you launch, it's good to realize and come to terms with the fact that you're going into an environment in many ways. Now, this obviously depends. I mean, if if the church exists and you're going and filling a position, like in a school, you know, and and there's a lot of Adventists, there's a lot of Christians, you know, there's an infrastructure, institutions. Uh, It's going to be very different than if you go into a frontline situation where there are no Adventist schools, no Adventist hospitals, no Adventist businesses, maybe so no of, Adventists at all. In terms of language acquisition, how are those two different situations impact us differently? Yeah, so if you're going into a situation where you, you know, you're immediately going to step into a role, obviously you're going to have a little less time. Your time, you're going to have demands on your time. You're going to have responsibilities right, right away. So it, you're going to have to be very intentional about carving out an hour a day or two hours a day or 10 hours a week and be very dedicated to stick with those hours and put in the time. And it's a mindset thing. It's an attitude yeah. thing. Yeah. And so that's very different than if you're in a frontline situation where you don't have a role or responsibility you're immediately stepping into and you are tasked solely with learning language. That's your full-time job for the first two years. So those are two completely different situations. Uh, either way, I think the first thing that you, you want to to come to terms with is you're going into an environment where they don't really need you. You don't know how to fix their food. You don't know how to build their houses. You don't know how to speak their language. You know, they live life. And except for from a spiritual standpoint, they're doing fine. So one, you're not necessarily needed. In some situations, you may actually be a burden. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to use that word, but I was like, not, not, not throwing it out. But yeah. yeah. Oh, man, this person needs me to help them fix this food again. They can't figure it out. Oh, they need re- help repairing their roof. They can't just go get some grass and fix their roof. I mean, come on. Kids know how to do this. So, yeah. So I think, you know, one that, that you could be a burden, you know, that uh, they don't need you. Basically... You're like a child, you're like a baby. You can't contribute much. 
okay, yeah, you can be present. Maybe, you, you know, if they're building a house out of bamboo, you know, you can help hand bamboo, but like you don't know how they, where they get their bamboo, how they collect it, how do they process it, how do they, you know, tie it together. And maybe in an urban setting, they don't even notice you. Right. right? So. And then in an urban setting, you know, most of these countries, let's say you're a carpenter. Well, you're going into a place, maybe you have a carpentry background. You're going to a place, everything's built from concrete. There's only so many ways you can, you know, build with concrete. So this part of you, your, what was your identity in your home country is now kind of stripped from you. If you're a pastor, all right, and you go overseas, what are you used to? You're used to, you know, using your language and speaking to people and doing Bible studies and giving sermons and being out in the community. All of a sudden, now you're in a community, there is no shared language. You don't, you can't preach in their language. You can't do a Bible study in their language. You can't have a basic conversation in their language, much more counsel or provide spiritual guidance. So if you've like been trained to do this as a pastor, let's say you've been trained to do this, and let's say you feel like you do really well in it, all of a sudden you're in an environment, you can't do any of that. Imagine what that does to your psyche, to your identity, to, to who you think you are and what you're good at. It can be pretty crushing. So going out with the mindset that you're gonna basically be a baby, you're gonna need these people to help you grow into an adult, so to speak, in this culture is huge. And be totally cool about it, yeah. right? it's just fine. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, it requires a lot of humility and dependency on other people. But at the same time, it's actually a gift. You're allowing the people to serve you and bless you and nurture you into becoming an insider, so to speak, or a part of their community. And it actually gives the, the host culture an opportunity to shine. They may be doing things, there may be aspects of their culture that are already biblical, you know, regarding hospitality, care for a stranger, etc. And, you know, allowing them to bless you, that, that's a huge testament in and of itself, I think. Very interesting. I'm in the process of learning a language, like I mentioned already, and the tendency is if I say something wrong and then I can notice I said something wrong, you know, it's just blood comes to my faith and just right. how, how in the world could I say it and I'm so ashamed. But all of that goes away if my mindset is that it's okay to make mistakes and it's actually an opportunity for people to bless me too, to give yeah. me a, a gift of their help and yeah. it's totally fine. The more yeah. mistakes I make, the more I talk, the better that yeah. is. And if you view yourself as a baby who will be a child who will eventually be an adult in the host culture, it makes it much easier to accept the help and even to laugh at yourself. I mean, little kids make mistakes. They don't come out of the womb speaking a language. No, they make mistakes. And, and if you're a parent, what do, you, what do we do as parents? Kids say a word, you know, and then we're like, you know, we help them say that word better. And eventually they start using it in sentences. And, you know, they don't necessarily use the right verb or conjugate their verbs correctly. But we, we nurture them. We, we help them into, you know, becoming a proficient user of the language that they're going to use in the society in which they grow up. Very nice. Paul, I would like to just shift gears a little bit. Yeah. So you were there together with your family, mm -hmm. and they also learned the language. Mm -hmm. So what was your role in helping them learn the language? What are the family dynamics around this need to learn the language? Yeah, one of the reasons that I actually went intermittently to the language school was so that my wife could also go. 
Uh-huh. Now, when you have kids, obviously, both parents, I mean, some situations maybe they can, but for us, we couldn't both go to the language school at the same time. We didn't have anyone to watch our kids. We were new in this culture. We didn't know anybody. We didn't, I mean, you know, we knew a few people, but we didn't know anyone well enough who had the time that could actually come over and, and watch our kids. And not only that, our kids were also homeschooling. So they would also need to basically facilitate their homeschool learning. So what we did was I would go for a month. I would take a month off to practice what I was learning and my wife would go. So we were just very intentional in trading off you know, who would be focused on formal language learning, we'll say, uh, and then who would be taking care of the kids, making sure that, you know, their needs are being met, they're, being, they're getting their, their schoolwork and stuff finished. And so we did that on and off. And then my wife reached a point where she mainly was just staying home with the kids. I mean, she just had a baby, but we had our helper. And so she was there all the time. And it, having her in the house all the time just created naturally this language learning opportunity for her. Uh, since she had some other responsibilities, it made it a little bit easier to, to you know, balance out language learning with life. So my wife not only was lear- you know, had times where she could actually sit down and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to do this, this, and this, and she could help my wife. But just being in the kitchen, fixing food and, and talking about life and what was going on in the community or in her family, that in and of itself was a language learning opportunity. Going to the grocery store, buying foods, trying to figure out what's on, you know, looking at the labels, figure out what it is, you know, encountering new foods, asking how do you prepare that. Those are all language learning opportunities. Sometimes we can get stuck in the mindset that language learning is something that happens in a classroom. But the reality is language learning happens everywhere, all the time, when we're, you know, as long as we're interacting with people and engaging people with the language, encountering the language in different situations. Have you kept English as your family language, uh, talking with your wife and kids, or have you been introducing Turkish as well right into your family dynamics to kind of help everybody learn better, including yourself? Yeah, we did try. Uh, There were times where we would speak Turkish in the home. Uh, One thing to say about the kids, you know, oftentimes people say, oh, well, the kids will probably learn faster than you. And that could be the case. If kids are out in the community, if they're playing with a lot of other kids, then yes, you know, they're going to learn things much quicker. But if you have kids who are homeschooling, you know, depending on what they do for school, if they're homeschooling, then that's time they're not with other kids. And then depending on the culture in which you live, you know, if kids are in school all day and your kids are homeschooling and then they come, the kids come home from school and then in the winter, it gets dark by 5 o'clock, and there's like 30, 40 minutes between them getting home from school and then the sun going down. In the winter months in particular, it can leave very little time where your kids are actually interacting yeah. with the host culture kids. So their opportunities to learn language will greatly diminish, as opposed to having kids in a local school with the host culture kids all the time. So... Yeah, that's something to keep in in mind, particularly for the kids. With our kids in particular, because they homeschooled, they didn't learn as quickly as they would have if we put them in a local school. We tried that with one of our kids, but the educational styles, the way they disciplined was very different than what our expectations, I guess you could say, were or what our norms, what we would accept as norms. Uh, It was a huge step for us 
as homeschool, homeschooling parents to even put one of our kids in school. But it was just a, it was a, a thing that we decided we didn't. It was, it was a compromise or a sacrifice that we felt we weren't willing to make. As regarding, as far as speaking Turkish in the home, we tried that, but it's very unnatural. I did actually, with our youngest who was born uh, in Turkey, I actually only spoke Turkish with her for a while. And I think she was probably, I don't know, two or something. I mean, she could formulate sentences at that point. She just looked at me one day and said, will you stop talking to me like that? <laughs> Basically, she didn't want me speaking Turkish to her. She just wanted me to speak English like I was with everybody else. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's a challenge to, yeah. to help our families as well. It is. It, it is a challenge. Paul, uh, the time is just totally running out. We have a dream together um, at the Institute of World Mission. We would love to work together with you to build a course mm-hmm. on language acquisition. Mm-hmm. So right now, in this particular interview, we just heard a little bit of your story and could feel how much experience uh, the Lord has given you. Now, if we did put out an online video course on language acquisition, could you describe that for our audience? What would they learn? Yeah, I think there's only so much you can talk about in 20 minutes. And, you know, this is a whole field. You, you could spend way more than hours you know, days and weeks, you know, creating podcasts. But I think the one thing we'd want to do is we want to have a series on having the right mindset as you go into language learning or language culture acquisition. And then we could also get into some techniques. There are various methods in which you can learn language outside of a formal language learning cl- like school or classroom Some of those would be like a GPA method, a pilot method, LAMP method. So we could probably cover those and, yeah, maybe identify some hurdles that you may face in your language learning experience. Sounds totally exciting, truly exciting. Thank you for coming on to the Institute of World Mission podcast, Paul, today. And we're looking forward to uh, building this together. Yeah, thanks for having me. Special thanks to Paul for this terrific advice. Now, with this kind of approach, having a skill in language acquisition, it is possible to learn a foreign language enough to speak heart-to-heart with our hosts. I cannot be excited enough, friends. And truth to be said, I have my own experiences of failing in learning another language and also putting a lot of effort, and I wish I knew more about language acquisition, but also succeeding at other times. So it's something that's part of my story, and something tells me that it's also a big topic, issue, challenge in your life. We will be working with Paul on a whole language acquisition course. Yes, you heard it right. It will be offered through the IWM website in the near couple of months. We have already started working on it, and it is coming. It is a promise. We want to do it. Now, speaking of courses, our Storytelling for Discipleship course, remember, Storytelling for Discipleship course, is up and running, guys. It's fantastic to interact with a good number of uh, individuals, maybe you who are listening, maybe you are already taking it, and we've been in contact It's been quite a journey these last couple of weeks. We love serving you, and we are deeply thankful to the Lord 
for this first step that we were able to take. Now, in the next several weeks, we will publish our second course. I promise to tell you today what it will be. We haven't finalized the actual title yet, and that's still in the works. But the topic, the, the, the theme is this. It's all about a scale of fundraising for Adventist missionaries. As we serve in different places in the world, many times it's expected that we are able to bring funds into certain projects or causes. And many times we ask a question, how, but how do we do this? Where do we get all the money that's needed around here? Or should we? Or how should we go about it? So stay tuned for the next week's episode because I will introduce the instructor, the opening date, some more details. We are quite engaged in this project, full swing already in it. So it's coming. It's coming very soon. Friends, with all of this, you know we always appreciate your help. Personally, I always appreciate your help. One thing you could do to help us is to share this podcast on your social network. Maybe if that's at all appropriate, sometimes for missionaries it's not, and we understand that. Maybe simply you could just bring it to the attention. This particular podcast or, or uh, another, I mean, episode or another episode in the podcast to your friend as a personal recommendation. This always works best. My name is Alex Ott, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. Mm -hmm.